Heavenly Father, we thank you and we magnify you and we exalt you for this evening. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would minister to our hearts and that you would speak your word to us through your Holy Spirit. Pray that you would help us to see wonderful things in it. We give you all the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, tonight, Lord willing, will be the last uh, message about the Word of God or about Scripture. So uh, if you have any more questions about it, just let me know. And, I mean, if we need to, we can do some more. But this kind of uh, wraps up what we were going to cover concerning Scripture. So tonight I want to talk about the characteristics of Scripture. And there are five that I would like to go through. The first one is this, the supremacy of Scripture. Now, we've already been talking about this, so I'm not going to spend too much time about it on it. But I'm uh, going to read a couple of uh, verses. We've already seen some of these. The first one comes from Psalm chapter 19, verses 7 through 10. It says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. So when we consider the Bible, the Bible is not just another book. It is not just a historical book. It is not just a classic, a cultural classic. It is, it is not just a book written by special people or special teachers or brilliant men. It's not any of those only. The Bible is the Word of God. It is God's Word having come to us. It is His revelation to mankind, and it is, therefore, because God is the author, without error and without mistake. It is perfect truth revealed. So we can come to the Word of God, and we ought to take it as it has come to us by God Himself in order to comfort us and to encourage us and to strengthen us and to direct us and to just uh, uh, give us the instructions, if you will, about life and about God and about how we are to live and glorify Him. And when we consider the Word of God, Hebrews 4.12 always stands out to me anyways. It says, For the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So that's the supremacy of Scripture. And that brings us to the second one, and it is this. This is the second characteristic or quality concerning Scripture, and it is this, the reliability of Scripture. Scripture is reliable. So if God is the author of Scripture, and He has revealed the truth to us, then what we find in Scripture is true and trustworthy. There are so many verses, uh, I mean, for each of these points, there are so many places we could turn, but uh, just as an example of some of these things, in John chapter 17, verse 17, Jesus is praying to the Father, and he says this, sanctify them, your disciples, by your truth. Your word is truth. So the truth comes to us from God, and it is what he uses in order to sanctify us. It is the truth that sanctifies us, and this is the prayer that Jesus prays. Um, we can look at Acts chapter 17, verse 11, and 
um, if we are looking for answers of life and you know, trying to figure out what is true and what is not true, you've heard me say many times that we are not deciders of truth. You and I, we do not decide what is true or not true. We are the discoverers of truth. In other words, God has revealed His truth. He has woven it into the fabric of creation. And our place in that is to discover it, to discover how, um, you know, how it is implanted in creation and how it uh, reflects God and so on and so forth. So in Acts chapter 17, verse 11, it says, These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. So these these people in this church, they received the word of God. And what did they do? Um, They didn't just believe the preacher just because it was the preacher preaching. You know, we all have our favorite preachers and there's a tendency just to kind of take everything that they say and just, you know, that's the end of it. But... What we ought to do is to hear what has come to us by these men and women who are gifted by God. And when we hear it, we go to the Scriptures and we investigate the Scriptures to make sure that it is right. Because anybody can slip up. And, And here we're talking about the Apostle Paul. He is the one who is being used by God to write a good portion of the New Testament And yet, these people in the church, they knew that they had to verify what Paul was saying by going to the Scripture. So it's an amazing thing there that we see. Um, We have talked about how the Scripture is going to be fulfilled. Jesus says this very powerful statement here in Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. He says, Don't think that I come to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. And this is key for us to understand. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. So we see that the word that is revealed to us here has ramifications not only for you know us now, living now, but it is something that has rung true throughout all of history and will continue throughout the end of history and in Christ as he brings all of it to fulfillment. And so again, this is not just a, uh, a book, and we, don't, uh, we mustn't argue about whether it's relevant or not. It is eternally relevant. All of it will be fulfilled in the person of the Word, who is Jesus Christ. Let me read Luke chapter 24, verses 44 through 46. You can listen as I read this. He says, it says, Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. So this is after Jesus' resurrection from the dead, and he is walking with the two disciples back to their home. This is what he says to them. Uh, These words which I spoke, they must be fulfilled. And then he says in verse 45, And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the Scriptures. Then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. So this Scripture, uh, and by the way, in verse 45, when he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the Scripture, there is a spiritual aspect of understanding the scripture it is you know we can come to it and we can approach it with our minds and make it an intellectual 
activity. And many, many people do that and are doing that and have done that. But to truly understand what God is revealing is a spiritual activity as well. And it takes the presence of the Holy Spirit to open our eyes and to open our ears to be able to hear and to see wonderful things in the Scriptures. All right, so that's uh, point number two, the reliability of Scripture. And that brings us to point number three, the necessity of Scripture, the necessity of Scripture. So the Bible is necessary. When we talk about salvation, the Bible is necessary for knowing the gospel, for maintaining our spiritual life, and for knowing God's will. The Scripture is necessary for that. We cannot get by without having some kind of exposure to the Word of God. It is necessary. Somebody must tell it to us. Somebody must preach it. Somebody, you know, we might have two people sharing it with one another, but there must be some kind of speaking of the truth of the Word of God to us if we are going to know God, if we're going to be built up spiritually, if we're going to be saved. So the Bible is necessary for the gospel. And for this, I'd like for you to turn to Romans chapter 10. And here we have a little bit of a longer passage about the necessity of the preaching or the proclamation of the Word of God. Romans chapter 10. And I will start reading in verse 13. And it starts this way. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So we're talking about salvation. And the way to salvation is by calling on the name of the Lord. So whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then he, Paul, begins this uh, progression on that verse. Verse 14, he says, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So we see the necessity of the word of God being proclaimed and preached so that others might hear and be saved. This is the way that God has set up or established the process of salvation. And it's fascinating to think that from the time of Jesus, who shared the gospel with his disciples, and his disciples shared the gospel with others, and they shared it with others, from the time of Jesus, the gospel has been shared from generation to generation, all the way down to our day, in which we continue to hear it being shared, and we have experienced salvation as a result of that. And so there is a direct line that goes all the way back to Jesus Christ and his ministry here on earth. So that's a fascinating thing to understand. The Bible is necessary not only for hearing and knowing the gospel, but it is necessary for spiritual growth and health. Spiritual growth and health. Health. So the need for the Word of God begins with the proclamation of the gospel, but that's just the beginning. There must be a constant feeding, if you will, upon the Word of God in order to cultivate spiritual health and well-being. So in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, we find Jesus saying this. This is in the midst of his temptation by the devil. He said, when he was tempted to turn the stone to bread, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. 
and you've heard me say this too, that every time we eat our food, which is necessary for our physical bodies, we ought to be reminded of the need for the spiritual food, which comes from the Word of God, in order to sustain our spiritual lives. And so that is indispensable with respect to our spiritual life. Another verse, Deuteronomy chapter 32, verses 46 and 47 It says, And he said to them, Set your hearts on all the words which I testify among you today, which you shall command your children to be careful to observe, all the words of this law. For it is not a futile thing for you, because it is your life. And by this word you shall prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to possess. So, going all the way back to the Old Testament and the law, there is the need for the people to hear it and to put it into practice in their lives, and that becomes life for us, true life. Now, when we consider the Word of God and and this life that we live, yes, we need the Word of God in order to build up our lives spiritually, but we also need the Word of God in order to avoid the temptations and the, the sin that just so easily comes against us. So, a good verse for this is Psalm 119, verse 11. It says, Your word I have hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. And so as we're confronted with the challenges of life and as we battle the temptations of sin that assail us, we must take the word of God and just harbor it, maintain it, keep it within our hearts so that we have the means by which to overcome the temptations and the struggles that we face. And so the scripture then becomes an important part of our lives. It is necessary. And then point number four, the authority of Scripture. The authority of Scripture. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, it says, For this reason we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. Now, there are some assumptions that are being described here in this verse, that, you know, when you make the distinction between the word that comes as being a word from God or a word from man, then that distinction is really important to make. So, uh, if a man said it, well, you might say, well, that's a good, you know, you have your opinion, and, you know, I'm glad it works for you, and, you know, all the things that the world might say and do say concerning the word of God, um, because they don't believe that God is the author of scripture. But it is speaking to us. So you can just kind of picture yourself and maybe like Paul on the road uh, to Damascus when Jesus appeared to him and spoke to him, right? If you had a vision like that and Jesus all of a sudden appeared to you and spoke to you, would that carry some weight? I mean, would you listen very carefully to what he had to say? Well, I know that I would. And really, that's kind of the way that we should take it. It's God speaking to us. And so it is... uh, of utmost important or importance for us to hear it and to listen to it and to uh, hearken unto it, to, to take, take hold of it. It is not just somebody sharing something with us. It's not just me sharing something with you. It is God's Word that is coming to us, you and me, as we consider it. And if we take it and welcome it as the Word of God, it also be- begins to effectively work in our lives. And that's what we want. I mean, if we're going to 
be selfish about it. That, that's probably not the best way to express it because this is why he's giving it in order for it to work in our hearts, to work in our lives. He wants it to effectively work in us who believe. And so we, we take it, we hear it, we know God is talking to us. His way is the best way. He doesn't make any mistakes. If he tells us to go this way, that's, that's the way we should go. And if he tells us to go this way, that's the way we should go. There's no question or argument to be made about it. And so we trust in him, and we know that his word is true, and it works in us an effective and powerful work. So we should live by it. We shouldn't add or take away from it. When we were talking about culture the other night, there is the temptation, as I, if you remember, as I said, there is the temptation for us to, to come to the Word of God and make it say what we want it to hear, to adjust the Word of God, uh, to kind of be able to fit in you know, with our life or way of thinking or whatever. That's the temptation. But that's not the right way to approach the Word of God. The right way to approach the Word of God is to uh, hear what it has to say and allow it to impact us to allow it to make its changes in our lives. That's what we want to do. And so this word of God is settled forever. It describes the beginning and the end. It is God's word to us, and we want it to change our lives. It is life-changing. And that brings us to the final point, the sufficiency of Scripture, the sufficiency of Scripture. Now, a few years ago, there was this controversy within Christianity, uh, that, you know, well, the Bible doesn't tell us everything that we need to know. And the point, the point is that, you know, the Bible doesn't give us all of the details for life. So, you know, I, I admit you can't go to the Bible and learn how to bake bread. I admit you can't do that. You, you can't go to the Bible and learn how to repair the plumbing in your house. I've got a leaky faucet and I need to fix it. This is true, but I'm not going to go anywhere in Scripture to find the instructions on how to do that. It doesn't give me that. It doesn't tell me how to change my tire. It doesn't tell me which job to take. It doesn't tell a person, a guy, if he should marry Sue or if he should marry Kim. It doesn't tell a person that. So I understand and I agree with that. However, if we start to say things like, well, you know, the Bible doesn't tell us everything that we want to know or might want to know about life. If we put it that way, uh, I, I mean, the Bible already falls on hard times by the world. It doesn't need to fall on hard times by Christians as well. And maybe there's a different way that we can state that in order to continue to elevate the primacy of Scripture even as we understand its place and its role. So it doesn't inform us about all of the particulars of life, like how to change my tire. It informs us, however, of the principles of life. And so in philosophy, you have this kind of uh, uh, approach to life. You have the universals versus the particulars. And that's, kind of this, that's a philosophical conundrum that's addressed has been addressed for history. And so if we look at Scripture, no, it does not give us all of the particulars, but it does provide us all of the universals that we need to live this life and to live it for the glory of God. And so this is how we come to the Scripture and approach the Scripture. 
And so the universals of Scripture have a bearing on how I should change my tire. So if I'm changing my tire and I get really frustrated because I cannot un, un, you know, untighten one of the bolts there, I shouldn't, I shouldn't take the tire iron, iron and chuck it at the next car that passes by. That would be wrong for me. And at that point, you know, we've, we've taken the universals of Scripture and we've applied it to the particulars that we are, are dealing with. And so we can go to Proverbs and we can go anywhere in Scripture and we'll find the wisdom and the application of it in knowledge and understanding as we apply it to life and as we deal with other people and as we seek to love one another. So it tells us that we must rely upon God and how we need to pray in all things. It tells us that we need to ask God for wisdom and direction and strength. I mean, how many times have we asked God, give me strength or give me direction or give me wisdom when we're doing a particular task? And he tells us and he guides us and he directs us and we rejoice and we give him glory for what he has told us to do. Um, We can learn some things. For example, in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 6, it says, Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise, right? So now we're talking about laziness and we're talking about ants and we're talking about diligence and we're talking about wisdom. Now all in that just uh, one, little, one little verse there and we can take the principle and we can apply it to our lives without any trouble. And so we, we can uh, go on and on and on with respect to Scripture. And so we find, we find that Scripture